We're starting things off with a word from our sponsor. Since 1998, DVD Netflix has delivered more than 5 billion DVD and Blu-ray rentals to movie lovers in every American zip code and to military bases around the world in their famous, iconic red envelopes. With an extensive library of titles from the early 1900s to today and shows from such premium networks as HBO and Showtime, DVD Netflix is a must for physical media lovers. Featuring a variety of different plans starting at as little as $8.99 per month, it's a great way to experience DVDs and Blu-rays with special features and commentary tracks you won't find anywhere else. A member for over 20 years, so well before I ever began working with the service as an official blogger on acting or as a DVD, Netflix, Twitter, film discussion host, I think it's a terrific way to keep our vintage video store memories alive and support the physical media that we love so much. So be sure to check out DVD Netflix for yourself at dvd.com. Now, on with the show. Hey, this is Jen Johans at filmintuition.com and filmintuition on social media and Letterboxd. And this is Watch with Jen. Before we embark on today's epic quest, I want to thank you all for the incredibly kind feedback that we've received on the new season of the podcast. I recorded about a half dozen episodes so far and can promise you that the theme of the season, at least as far as I can tell, has been variety, balancing out some more conversational, jokey, hangout style episodes with those that are far more analytical. So please subscribe, share, and check back often. It's been the greatest honor to have been approached by guests from past seasons who are eager to return, along with starting to widen our net and bring new voices in to share with you all. Additionally, I want to thank those behind the scenes, especially my circle of friends, for their wisdom, laughter, and support. I couldn't do it without you. While quite a few people do get name-checked in today's episode, I want to give a special shout-out to a few, including Walter Cha for essentially connecting me with Adrian McKinty and suggesting the topic of Excalibur. I also want to send a big thank you to my friend Donald Logue and his very cool cinephile son, Finn. And happy birthday, Finn, as well. Donal and Finn's enthusiasm and knowledge of the Lord of the Rings franchise inspired me, and I took your advice, Finn. I didn't just stop after the first movie. I'm not quite through the trilogy yet, but I promise I won't just stop. I also want to give a big thank you to my friend and former literature and film professor Cameron McElvie, whose passion for the movie Excalibur and the goodness of King Arthur had a huge impact on her seeing the film on the big screen multiple times in 1981. And when she shared all of her thoughts with me, it helped reinforce some of my own the second time around when I watched. Other people are recognized throughout, and a few of these individuals are name-checked again, but I just thought that I wanted to make sure to call attention to them ahead of time. So, okay, everyone, let's 
blow this popsicle stand and embark on a quest at about 30 miles an hour, Adrian McKinty style. Today, I'm so pleased to welcome to the podcast one of my crime writer friends, favorite crime writers, and a man whose taste in film, literature, and poetry is an endless source of delight on Twitter. Adrian McKinty was born and raised in Belfast, Northern Ireland, and then studied philosophy at Oxford University before he moved to Australia and New York. He is the author of more than a dozen crime novels, including his Dagger and Edgar-nominated debut, Dead I Well May Be, the critically acclaimed Sean Duffy series, as well as the smash international bestseller and award-winning standalone thriller, The Chain. A man whose books have been translated into over 30 languages, Adrian has won the Edgar Award, the International Thriller Writers Award, the Ned Kelly Award three times, the Anthony Award, the Barry Award, the McCavity Award, and the Theakston Old Peculiar Crime Novel of the Year Award. His latest bestseller, The Island, is set to be a Hulu original series and will be hitting paperback soon as well. And he has more book news to share with us today. Adrian, I want to thank you so much for being here. How are you doing and how's 2023 treating you so far? So far, I'm, I'm, it's doing okay. Um, I'm glad we're recording this in the first week of March and yes. glad spring's coming. I'm not a winter. I don't love winter. Mm-mm, me neither. Um, I don't love winter in New York. This has been a mild winter. Uh, okay, good. It's been cold and rainy, so it's a lot more like a Belfast winter than a than a, <laughs> which um, I always hated as a child as well because I just I don't like the I don't like the rain and I don't like the cold and you get a lot of that in Belfast from October through March. So I'm glad spring is just around the corner. Um, the flowers haven't come up here yet, but okay. I was talking to my mother back in Ireland and she said that the, the tulips and the daffodils are starting to come up. So uh, okay. that is, that's a sign of hope. Yes, I always love spring. It's a favorite. I'm from Minneapolis. I was talking to Adrian off air about it. And same thing. It's like from October. I remember one Halloween, we had a 13 inch blizzard hit. And so we get winter sometimes from October all the way into like the first couple weeks of April. So yes, spring is a good season. I lived in Denver for about eight years. I remember those horrible spring blizzards that just come in you thought it was all over and then you get like a foot of snow and you just go oh <laughs> you have to dig out the car drive the kids to school is a nightmare yeah that's right you lived um we, we have a friend in common walter cha you lived in denver you taught there correct yeah i taught high school in in denver um i was a high school english teacher for about six or seven years um okay. And actually, one time I was talking to Walter about the, the this particular. I said, "Do you remember this blizzard?" And uh, he he has terrible memories. There was a particular blizzard we got, and it was Christmas Eve. Um, I can't remember what year, but um, we got I don't know twenty inches of snow, and then the next day it got. Of course, it's Denver. The next day it got up to sixty degrees, <laughs> uh, and all the snow melted and then mm-hmm. froze. So there was uh, about three inches of solid ice on all the streets in Denver for the next month. So oh, 
There were so many car accidents and fender benders and people falling and breaking their legs. I just go, my God, that's Denver, you know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And was that before or after Australia? That was before. Um, We had had like eight winters in Australia. And uh, uh, sorry, we had eight winters in Denver. And um, I'm not used to snow. You know, I, I grew up. In Ireland, you get maybe one or two days of snow a year, and okay. Denver, about 40 or 50. And I remember the yeah. first winter, oh, this is wonderful. Look at all this snow. Isn't it great winter? <laughs> and by the third the winter, thrill is gone. Yeah. I was going, oh my God. <laughs> In November, I started to get panic attacks. And I was just go, oh no. <laughs> This is this is beginning again. So my wife got offered a job in um, in Melbourne, Australia, and I checked up the last time it had snowed in Melbourne, and it was 1977. So let's go. Yes, let's, absolutely. Let's go. Time to move there. Yeah, we end yes. up going. To- well, as I'm talking to you, you recently mentioned on Twitter that there's a new Sean Duffy novel coming. Do you want to tell us about that? series of detective novels set in Belfast and I'd written six of them. I'd written two trilogies and, um, and there'll be another one out um, this summer. Um, Cool. Oh yeah. Yeah. Very excited. Yeah. Nikki Dolson, who's another mutual friend wanted me to be sure to ask. I can't, I can't spell everything I've been. Okay. But it's coming. That's exciting enough. Yes. Coming in August, uh, and that's all I can say. And if I say any more, I will get my knees broken. Uh, but I don't want to do that. No. no. Yeah. No. no. Not at all. Yeah. So, and then also with the island and the chain, I know those were options. And anything you can tell us about the progress? Um, no, the the chain they're still working on. Sure. I, that was that, that was optioned by uh, Universal. Okay. Uh, the island um, was optioned by Hulu, mm-hmm. and then the option last, and that's also been taken up by uh, Universal International. Oh, so, um, so they're both out there work. They're working on those things. Yeah, hopefully, hopefully writing. Yeah, uh, but um, um, I, I, I take a generally standoff. Um, position on 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 those projects because i i had a my first novel was this book called dead i well may be mm-hmm. and um, and it got optioned and i took a really involved um role oh, in that one yeah and then, I, then when it didn't get made which is very common like yeah uh, most, most books that get optioned uh, something like 80 percent of the books don't that get, get optioned mm-hmm. don't get made um but i didn't know that and so when it didn't get made, I was gutted. I thought, boy, we, we had oh, all these no. meetings. And you know, we, we're thinking about all these actors. And we'd written this script that was really good. And, and oh. this never happened. And, you know, all the Hollywood types going, son, but, you know, four-fifths of projects, they just die. And I said, but I didn't know that. I thought, this is good. Tell us up front. Yeah. That's really upset. And, uh, and I said, "How does it die? It just, just, it just does. You know, yeah. you, have, you really every film has to have a champion. Yeah, like it's driving it forward. Whether it's the director, the writer, uh, often an actor. Yeah, uh, yeah you need it, a name to get the green light. Yes, need a champion. Um, and uh, unfortunately, Dead I Will Me Be never had that. 
uh, champion to drive it forward. Um, mm. So then I, but I was really upset and naive. And, and I you decided know what if I'm anything- doing here is we're putting out the call for anyone who's like, you know, dead. I well, maybe I want to get that made. We need a yes. champion. We need an Arthur. Yeah. Exactly. That's what we're doing. So I decided that if any of my books ever got optioned again, I would be just, Hey, you guys, good luck. Thanks. Um, <laughs> if, if you need any help, give me a call. Um, but I decided to take a more sort of uh, backseat yeah. role. That's probably good. Yes. Speaking of backseat, one thing I loved when I was reading a little bit more about you is that you were an Uber driver. I have a bad back. And so I don't do a ton of driving. I take Uber a lot. And Mm. so I've had wild experiences, you know, stories that my drivers have told and lots of things I'll post about, you know, different uh, conversations that I have snippets. So any ideas that came to you maybe while you were an Uber driver that found their way into novels or was it pretty boring? Not really. I was a terrible driver. I'm not, oh, a no. Com- no, I'm not a confident driver. And uh, okay. I learned to drive. I mean, I think my problem is I learned to drive in rural Ireland. <laughs> Without a lot of traffic and people. Like, yeah. I remember on, on my, on the day of my test, there was no traffic on the roads whatsoever. And <laughs> my, you're like, this is the best. Yeah. Parking. There was no, I think I had like three spaces that I had to reverse into. It was so, nice. so straightforward. And uh, like the worst thing that can happen to you is you can get behind a bunch of sheep on the, on the road. Sometimes. Okay. Yeah. Um, that was, Those that was sheep. I tell you. Having yeah. a car for me, and, and that was in Australia. And in Melbourne's a big city. I yes, hated driving there. I don't drive here because it's so much scarier. Yeah, uh, I hated driving in Denver. I was so scared all the time. And um, when I was I was living in Denver, I drove um, there before um, Google Maps and yeah. other stuff. So sometimes I'd make terrible mistakes. And um, I'd find myself on the freeway. I'd find myself driving so much. (laughs) What the hell? I'm heading heading towards Colorado Springs. How the hell do I get off? (laughs) Oh, my God. So, so, like, my poor passengers, you know, I feel feel bad for them. (laughs) It was so entertaining. They were probably fine. Yeah. More than 30 miles an hour. And I just go, yeah. But <laughs> I do that because the ideal driver for Stanley Kubrick, you know, like Kubrick never liked to go over thirty. I just go sound. Like, you're you're Stanley's man, is what we're yes, saying. Yeah. <laughs> very slow. Very <laughs> uh, don't go. Don't drive when it's raining. You know, none of that stuff. So I, I was so I was a terrible driver and still am and. Um, and I, I just, I'm just not, not a fan. Except in Ireland, I like driving in Ireland. Okay. <laughs> you know? Except for those sheep, you know. But what are you going to do? It's, There's always I, something. Sometimes I remember um, I drove through New Mexico once, uh, northern New Mexico. That was great. Massive, empty oh, road. Yeah. You can do that across <laughs> Texas. Texas, you feel like you're there for like six days, basically. Yeah. No other cars for miles. Yeah. That's my. Car. That's my kind of drive. <laughs> That's your kind of road trip. Yes. Yes. Exactly. But New York City or <laughs> Melbourne or Denver. Oh, 
Oh my god. I oh. oh my gosh. I went to LA last summer and I had so many people asking me, well, why didn't you rent a car? Like, don't I'm not driving in LA. Are you crazy? Oh I'm like, no way. Yes. If they said to me, we'll green light one of your um, book or film projects, but you have to drive from the airport to the studio. I just, I'm sorry. <laughs> You're like, fuck the movie. No, I'm out. Yeah. I'm not. I'm not doing that. <laughs> no, forget it. I'm going to just stay here, you know? Um, yeah. No, I, I, <laughs> there's a off me. Yeah. So if you're in one of these quests, you know, you'll get there. It'll just take a while is what we're saying. Yeah. Yeah. When I, when I, whenever I would go out to, I, I had I had a few meetings in LA for various film things. And, um, and I would walk from the hotel to the uh, studio for the meeting or sometimes from the hotel to another hotel and people are incredulous. This is how, <laughs> how'd you get? Nobody uh, walks uh, in LA. Yeah. So I walked. I said, hi, how did you do that? And I said, well, <laughs> we have these things called legs. Yeah. Our sidewalks and you can get, now in Denver, there's the whole neighborhoods where there are no sidewalks. Um, there are um, just, I don't know how you're supposed to walk there. And I've been yeah. told that in, in Houston, that's also the case. There are entire neighborhoods with no sidewalks. But in LA, I found there were actually sidewalks and you could walk. Yeah, it's a hiking it's, uh, city pretty much. Yeah. 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 But just people centric, yeah. uh, <laughs> you know. <laughs> this Irish guy who likes to walk. Yeah. <laughs> No, it's not. It's not that I particularly like to walk, um, but just but there was no way. Compared, yeah, nothing in driving. Just, oh God, that was, no, no, that was not. I know it was one of those things where, like, the first few pick people that were picking me up and taking me places, like, wait, we're going eighty all of a sudden, and it's like that's slow in LA, and I'm like, okay, no, yeah, that's terrible. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well. We're here today to talk about people taking quests and two movies that you're very passionate about, Excalibur and Lord of the Rings. When we were kicking around ideas, I think it was Walter Chaw originally, who's like, you should have Adrian on to talk about Excalibur because that's one of your favorite things. And uh, when we were coming up with ideas, this was something that you threw out there. Fantasy is not my strong suit. I like fantasy movies. I'm not like um, a huge enthusiastic viewer of them compared to like crime movies and other genres. But I love learning new things and I was eager to see these. I had seen the Lord of the Rings film. We'll get into that later, I'm sure. But I had never seen, I thought I had, but when I started Excalibur, I was like, no. I have not seen this version. So I watched it twice to prepare because you are quite the expert. And why don't you go ahead and tell me about your love of these movies and your first experience? Well, first of all, did you like it? Did you like Excalibur? I did. It's messy, you know, right. but it's like such a spectacle and the actors are wonderful. The effects are cool. You kind of get, I liked it more the second time. And so I'm wondering, like, the more you watch it, you probably fall in love with different aspects of it. Because the first time you're like, 
it's almost like the Bible blank begat this person begat this person. And you're like, who the hell are all these people? And, you know, you need cliff notes all, all of a sudden and that kind of thing. But the second time I watched it, I got into it more for sure. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I, I remember talking to Walter about this because Walter gave it a one star review. Um, he hated, he hated it. Uh, <laughs> but I remember um, arguing with Walter about this. And I was saying to Walter, you know, uh, well, Pauline Kale gives it a very positive review in uh, in The New Yorker. And Pauline, I think, identifies what people like about the film. It's it it came out. It comes out in 1981 and um, just about my age. Yes. Yeah. Just (laughs) nine months before. I was like 13 when I saw it or 12 or 13. So I was a little bit too young for some of the. Sounds very confused. I thought, what's yeah, happening? It is one horny movie. I mean, yes, it really yes. is. <laughs> and, uh, if you see it the wrong or perhaps the right age, um, it will leave an impression. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> um, so, so yeah, yeah. Paul and Kale says, you know, it's it's a film about images and emotion rather than having a strong narrative structure. And I was thinking. Yeah. Of- about that because it comes out just a little bit before Fitzcarraldo, Werner Herzog's film. Oh, and, yeah. and they're very similar because um, they're about these epic quests and all these incredible images. I mean, the image we have of Fitzcarraldo is the, the steamship halfway up the mountain. And, you know, when Herzog talks about Fitzcarraldo, it, it, it's very similar to the way John Berman talks about the making of um, Excalibur. And Herzog said, look, I had this image in my head and the only way I could get it out of my head was to make a film about it. And um, he puts it up there on the screen and and it's the exercising of all these demons of images that are in his head. And he puts his dream up there, um, you know, on celluloid. And I think John Berman must have had the same idea because he's got all these weird Yes. Erotic, uh, beautiful. It's a it's an art film. It really is. Yeah. And in a lot of ways, um, I mean, there's. I mean, I I was thinking about this. I I watched it again a couple of days ago. I was thinking, my God, that second act of Excalibur. It 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 really it really doesn't work at all. um, In a lot of ways, and you can see why because. For Berman, he had these great ideas and images for the beginning. And he had fantastic ideas and images for the end. But he was just sort of, oh, God, we have to we have to bridge these two things together somehow. I don't know how, but this is what this is what I'll throw up there. And I think for a lot of people who hate Excalibur, they're just going, what the hell is this? Yeah, When we got to like uh, Morgana and the grill and I was like, okay, where did this all come from? It just kind of, yeah, it's like we're in a totally different movie for a while. My other issue the first time around was the dialogue. You know, it's it's a little too simple and over the top. You know, I must have her. And yeah. some of the, like, it's it's almost caveman style at times. Exactly, so they're all speaking it's like... unintentionally funny, yeah. They're speaking portentously all the way through. Yes. But, but unintentionally funny i'm uh, i don't know because merlin is hilarious and i think he, <laughs> i think he's deliberately meant to be hilarious all the way okay. through nicole williams as, as merlin is so funny in this in this film <laughs> and, and if you look at any other portrayal of merlin in 
and films certainly there's there's an animated Disney um yeah sword in the stone sword in the stone but Merlin is funny but in all the other ones Merlin is so hyper serious dour yeah dour. But Merlin and this is hilarious and um and you can see why he's hilarious because he's seen all this shit so many times before you know with all these humans and undoing themselves and self-sabotage and it's gone beyond um it's gone into farce for him now and so it's so very Merlin, sardonic it's very yeah like he sees yeah. it coming it's dry I, when you're saying hilarious i'm like this is not a laugh riot but maybe it's one of those things when you watch it several times all of a sudden you get the humor and the way it's foreshadowing things like like okay you can have the girl but then i get the you know all of that stuff and you're gonna lead to ruin and you're gonna do the, yeah yeah, it's it's de- it's definitely sort of like one of those films where. Um, well, should we describe the plot? Go for it. Yes. So it begins great, I think. Um, uh, the, it's the Dark Ages. There's this slaughter. It starts at night. Uh, there's this battle, and Uther becomes king of of Britain. He's united all the warring tribes together, and he's become king. And Uther is played magnificently by Gabriel Byrne. They've given him a a buzz cut and he looks handsome and vicious. He Uh, does. He's like scary Gabriel Byrne. Yes. Terrifyingly charismatic. Yeah. Uh, Actually, I'll go on a a tangent here. I think that one of the problems of the film, uh, one of the really bigger problems of the film is that uh, Gabriel Byrne plays Uther and he's killed in the first 10 minutes. Um, yeah, it's kind of like the Mercutio problem where you whack like the most interesting person in the entire thing. Yeah. Good point. And um he gets killed, and then Arthur comes along, and Arthur's supposed to be your 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 the your follow-through character for the rest of the movie. Yeah. Unfortunately, um the Bland. person yeah. the person they cast as Arthur is this guy called Nigel Terry, um, who I I was reading about him, and he's a very accomplished stage actor. Yes. And apparently was very comfortable on the stage. And Olivier casts him in tons of films. But in in, in the two films I've seen him in, he looks really uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, he's in uh, Milan and Winter. Um, he plays the younger brother in uh, the youngest brother in Milan and Winter. And uh, unfortunately, he's sort of acted off the screen um, by Anthony Hopkins. Well, everybody's. Everybody, yes. Olivier Hepburn it's an amazing film yeah Yeah, but anyway so you you kind of forgive him that one because he's with with giants but unfortunately he's cast as the lead in um Excalibur and he's he he's just not as sexy or as cool Mm -hmm. or as interesting as as Gabriel Byrne is as his dad Uther um so when Uther becomes king and then he self-sabotages because he wants Cornwall's um, wife, and then there's this insane scene um, where Uther um, storms Cornwall's castle disguised as Cornwall. And, <laughs> and we should say the daughter uh, of John Borman is playing Egrain, the wife, which is so messed up. Daughter who's 17. <laughs> She's seven. She gets stripped, yes. <laughs> in full armor while the director is watching I next know. to six feet from him and i was thinking <laughs> that must have been extremely weird and awkward 
it's in the interview in the PBS documentary. And they, they point blank asked her, like, what was that like? And she first she made a joke like, well, once you've been stripped and shagged by a knight in full armor in front of your father, there's no looking back. Yeah. But she said, I was a professional actress. And so she kind of took the high road of she yeah. was OK. She said it was probably more awkward for the men in the scene because they had to actually do these things, you know, pull her clothes off in front of the the father. And uh, Gabriel Burns said it was because she was only in the scene for a little bit. And right. then uh, he had to, he said, like, hump a pillow for an hour. And uh, he's like, so I just felt like an idiot the whole time. Right. Exactly. Uh so he self sabotages, um, and then Merlin for the for the the price for letting him get into the castle for for summoning him the dragon's breath so he can get in is that he gets the baby and the baby's Arthur. Yes, the baby. Yep. And then Uther's killed in this really amazing. Goes in the thing. Yep. But he's killed in a really amazing way. It's this muddy slow motion filthy fight <laughs> with a walking in full armor through these thick Irish bogs at one mile an hour. And it's like these <laughs> slower than Adrian drives. Yeah. Yes. There's tanks chasing each other and <laughs> hilarious and awful. And you know, the, 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 the person who can go two miles an hour escapes from the guys going at one mile an hour. It's really a fantastic <laughs> And then he sticks the sword into the stone, and then we cut to what supposedly is 20, 17, 18 years later, yeah. Arthur's grown up. But one of the problems is that they cast Nigel Terry, who's 35. And um, he just looks 35, yeah. He's a 17-year-old, and you just go, <laughs> oh, oh, this isn't... It's this like isn't the Irishman. Me. Like, maybe cast a different actor, yes. <laughs> I know. They actually could have done that. They could have cast... Yeah. Uh, Young Arthur's only in it for about 10 or 15 minutes. Exactly. You could have cast a kid to yep. play him, in, um, but they did not. Um, they felt, John Berman felt that, that Nigel Terry could could play like the 17-year-old the yeah. version of himself, the, I guess, 60-year-old version of himself. And, uh, <laughs> it's uh, not Sissy's basic in uh, Coal Miner's Daughter. He doesn't achieve that magic, yes. He does not. And I, I think... <laughs> Poor guy. That's... A fantastic opening. Yeah. Incredible opening. And then uh, kill Uther. I like that point. Yes. It starts to go off the rails a wee bit. Yeah. Um, here. But then we get the fight at um, Leon de Grance's castle. And that's great because that's Patrick Stewart. And, and, and here we are. We've got Patrick Stewart. And then Liam Neeson comes a wee bit later. And then we've got um, and Gabriel Byrne and... And Sherry Lungy. So you get all these people who go on to become quite famous. Yes. Uh, um, you know, in, in this scene at the castle. And then there's the first or maybe the second really epic moment in the film, which is when um, Arthur gets knighted in the river. Do you remember that bit? Yeah. Now that that scene is, you know, you sort of, you've, you've lost faith with the movie at that point, I feel, because yep. not really buying Arthur. And uh, we're just going, oh, boy, it's not really working for me. But then John Berman keeps bringing these rabbits out of hats because he's got these <laughs> in his head. And that scene where Arthur is knighted in the river, I mean, like I, I watched it's it again. The, yeah, the sword away, yes. 
Oh my God, chills. Yeah. Just absolute chills. It's beautiful. It's, they've established that the sword is the most important thing. Yeah. If you have the sword and and so Arthur goes into the river and his enemy who's opposing him, he gives him the sword and he hands him oh, this. Watching these back to back with Lord of the Rings and the ring, it was like, yeah, there yeah. are chills when you compare it for sure. So he gives him the sword and then he could just stand up and just go, I'm the king, I've got the sword. And he could behead Arthur and end the movie. But Arthur knows that his honor won't allow him to do that. And so that there's this scene, this is about a minute long, where he's just standing, holding the sword, and he doesn't know what to do. And because his ambition is to become the king, yeah. but honor's going, oh, God, what do I do here? And as you're watching it, it's <laughs> a fantastic moment. And that's the first rabbit out of the hat where he saves the, saves the film, for me anyway. Okay. Yeah. Such a fantastic moment. Patrick Stewart's watching and he's going, oh, this is some good acting. Uh, <laughs> Kieran Hines is watching and he's going, oh, this is great acting. Yes. Uh, oh, I love Kieran Hines. I was glad you pointed him out too. You're like, did you see him? Yes. Yeah, he, he's the he's the one that says to um, to Urians, keep the sword, keep the sword. <laughs> yeah. And um, and so, you know, the, the that, that there's that scene. And then the movie goes into a, a quite a long lull, I think. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, the the where, thing with Lancelot, like we don't really see any kind of chemistry with the love triangle. Usually there's a little heat. I, I think, I think, yeah. I think we're getting I have casting problems with a lot of a lot of this this film. I think Nigel Terry, like I say, apparently a really good stage yes. actor. Yeah, a little bit lost on film. Um, I don't think he's got the heft and gravitas to carry this role. And then Nicholas, um, I'm going to look it up. Nicholas Clay plays Lancelot, and yeah. I was looking, I was looking up his Wikipedia entry as well. And again, very very respected stage actor. Um, Borman found all these guys, I guess. He just went straight to the theater. Yep. Yes. Love him for stage work at Royal Shakespeare Company. Incredible stage actor. But a little bit lost here in film. And as you said, bizarre because he's playing Guinevere's love interest and the third member of this love triangle between Arthur, Guinevere, and and there's just no chemistry between... No chemistry between um, Guinevere and Lancelot. And you would have thought Gabriel Byrne would have been better in that role. Yes, that's a really good point. Yeah. When I was talking to Adrian and we were like planning this episode and coming up with uh, film ideas, I was thinking about uh, my version of the story that I saw probably around would have been age 14 or so was first night which is you know a trashy movie and it's but it's richard gear it's julia ormond it's sean connery there's some heat there between um you know richard gear and julia ormond when when i was 14 it was like whoa this is a great film but uh then you get older and you're like no but um this movie is missing that and you really need that for the rest of the film to work yeah I wonder how they didn't see that in the rushes because yeah. uh, everyone who watches it can see that. I mean, great actors. Oh, uh, yes. You know, beautiful people. Yeah. people. yeah. I mean, uh, I was reading a, um, a thing a couple of days ago about Nicholas Clay. Apparently he was in this Agatha Christie um, movie playing this sort of sexy villain. Okay. And he's and he, apparently he's very good in that. Yeah. Uh, 
playing this sexy villain in this Agatha Christie film. And um, and it's a smaller role. And I think this may be where he works best, like being someone in the shadows, um, but being center stage on yeah. film makes him uncomfortable. Sure. And and they were so and, new too. Yes. A lot of these people. Yeah. Also, I don't know what they did with his hair, but um <laughs> the hair in this movie. Oh my gosh. Like everybody with the big hair kind of made me want to go find a bottle of cream rinse again. Yeah. So so they, they've given Lancelot this kind of terrible haircut. And it's very <laughs> very Kendall. Very, yeah. Yeah. It, it, it doesn't work. And you, again, you think to yourself, well, we've just seen um, Gabriel Burns haircut. Yeah. Minutes ago. Mm-hmm. And here's haircut is the haircut of a war leader. Yeah. Um, just buzzed right across the top. And it's yeah. no, not vicious. <laughs> and um, it's tar- he's, he looks really scary. He does. Not, Looks like he's mopping <laughs> hair in the 1980s for a salon. Yeah, Vidal Sassoon with Lancelot. Yes, he's a very good looking man. Oh yeah, of course. He's just—it's not working as no. uh, as yeah. this war leader fighter guy. He's the uh, MTV Lancelot. Yeah. yeah it's just—it's—it's it's quite <laughs> unfortunate, I think, and it's yeah. like, not the actor's fault. No, not uh, at all. No. We're not trashing um, these people. <laughs> yeah. We're not, and they, and they're good at the things, yeah. but just it's, it's unfortunate. I think Sherry Longy's. I think she's really good. Um, I really liked the, her. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think she's really good. She's doing a sort of gentle Irish accent um, yeah. all the way through, um, which I think works well. And and her dad's Patrick Stewart. This, I think this is his first film role, and wow. and, and he's great, Patrick he Stewart. And the little we see him, he's 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 fantastic, and and then we get to the point where they Arthur and um, uh, uh, Guinevere are getting married, and then that's our first glimpse of um, Helen Mirren, um, yeah. um, who's at the wedding and playing this malevolent presence, and it's our first glimpse also of Liam Neeson, uh, yeah. who's at the wedding, and again. This unbalances the film a wee bit because you're just going, oh wow, because um, they're <laughs> the charismatic. Yeah, just radiating off these people. Yeah, yes. exactly. And Liam Neeson appears in a very short scene. And he's he's incredible. Yeah, and again, your eye goes terrifying. right to him. Yeah, terrifying. Yeah. And he's just drinking. He just go and then. Uh, again, I, I think it's a quite funny scene where where Merlin they ask Merlin where lies evil, and Liam Neeson with his Belfast accent and his wee bit drunk, or his Balamina accent and his wee bit drunk, and he just goes, "I know where evil lies in the kingdom. It's with her." And he points and going up here. Take that back, and uh, and he won't. And uh, and so they have to get a champion for for Guinevere, and, and they Lance- get the Ken doll. Yeah, yeah. Lancelot comes, and it's a whole thing. It is and a whole thing. Yep. Don't believe the fight either, because it's 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 Lancelot, beautiful Lancelot against vicious <laughs> Liam Neeson, and Liam Neeson, you think could just take a hammer. And just <laughs> Lancelot, he wouldn't need a sword. He, he has just, a special set of skills. I mean, yeah. we know this. 
Yeah. How did Liam Neeson lose that fight? And that's what the script said was going to Still drunk from the castle scene. That's the only explanation. He should never have lost. He just go, this is ridiculous. And, um, and Liam Neeson incredibly loses. And I must have, as an actor, decided that's the last fight I'm going to lose. And yeah. <laughs> any film. And he did that Fast and the Furious thing after that, like Vin Diesel and The Rock, where, you know, I need to land as many punches. No, I'm just kidding. But yeah, yeah. yeah. No. So, so Liam loses the fight. And then, and then the film, I, I don't really know what happens uh, at this stage of the film. Um, I, um, and I've seen it about seven or eight times, um, Excalibur. I got I, so confused with the Grail stuff. I mean, that's a little bit later, but I was like, "What?" Yes, so much later. It's like there's this there's the affair in the woods. Lancelot and Guinevere go off. Yes. And it sticks the sword into um, into the ground, and, and then it, um, yes, gets Merlin. Then, yeah, and then they um, do this thing where uh, Morgana, Helen Mirren tricks. Nicole Williams steals his magic and freezes him. Yeah. And then then exactly it's, it's like a redo of the opening sequence with, with Uther because she sleeps with, uh, you know, her brother, essentially. I mean, there's some, yeah, there's some stuff weird, in this movie. <laughs> Helen Mern is, by the way, she's incredible. Oh, uh, yeah. All the way through. But I think what, what happens is that, that Borman decides, I mean, the wedding... It, it is an amazing i think the cinematographer i think he either wins an oscar or he nominated, gets nominated yeah an and and they always point out especially that wedding scene because and the of the light and it's so stunning yeah it, it's incredibly shot in in a, yes. in a far, looking at amazon and amazon claims um you know that little trivia thing yeah on the side as you're watching amazon claims and um uh, they may be right. They, the place where they filmed that wedding was um, uh, supposed to be John Berman's set for Rivendell. And um, when uh, he was yes, that's make, right because this started as an uh, started as Lord of the Rings. Yeah, I'm sure knew that, but that was going to be his Rivendell where yes. they shot the wedding for um, for for Excalibur, which is super interesting, really. Um, yeah. You know this 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 sylvan glade in the forest looks fantastic, and I'm sure the cinematography of his Lord of the Rings would have been would have been brilliant. Mm-hmm. And the film really loses most viewers, I would say, um, here. And this is the bit where you can just imagine Walter um, <laughs> in Denver. Yeah. Things. <laughs> That's uh, when he jumps in the group chat with us and like you know <laughs> rips rips the film to shreds, which is why we love Walter. Yes. Yeah. Um so yeah, and I think what happens is that um he goes and decides to go. We've been dealing with a very realistic version of events. We have real people, yeah. we've got the mud and the blood, and you know, it's it's nasty and filthy all the way through, and the sex is sexy and the dirt yeah. is then it gets really mystical on us. Yeah. It starts to go into allegory. Yeah, yeah. Prepared for it. It's like a totally different movie plugged into the other movie. Yeah. It really is. And um, there's a film that came out a couple of years ago, um, The Green Knight. Did you see that? Oh, yes, um, with Deb Patel. Yeah. Deb Patel. So it's allegory all the way through. 
Yeah, uh, that is one uh, clear vision. Yeah, it's a clear vision. And um, we, as 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 viewers, we're going okay. Right, we see what you're doing, um, and the Green Knight's quest. It's all like there's weird giants, and uh, but it's all the way through. It's consistent, and yeah. so uh, as viewers, we're not upset by this in the least. No. Uh, or something like um, the Narnia films, or whatever. You know, it's allegory, yeah. and we're mm-hmm. fine with that. Yep. Uh, you don't start. You don't start allegory <laughs> the way into film. Seventy-five percent into the movie. Yes. <laughs> This, the realism, the filthy, dirty realism. Yeah. So that's where a lot of people lose heart with it. That uh, was me the first time I watched it. I think, you know, I kind of, I was joking to a friend and she's like, you're not a fantasy person. I'm like, I always try, but it's almost like, you know, that thing, face blindness, where mm-hmm. you, you forget people. For me, it's like, I get completely, I forget who these people are, where we are. There's, there's new words and lands. And, and that was about the time where I'm like, what the hell is even going on? That was the first time. So I knew I had to watch it again. Yes. But uh, I'll tell you something funny though. So I was watching this a couple of days ago and that's the bit in the film that's always really troubled me. Yeah. Uh, um, you know, as I was saying on Twitter yesterday, it, it, it almost kills the film. You know, yeah. it almost kills the film Stone Dead. And then I was thinking about it. I wonder if this was um, a subconscious intent on behalf of John Berman. And hear me out. Uh, This is just just a crackpot theory I cooked up. Um, So in the classic Joseph Campbell hero's journey. Yes. uh, You have your um, first act where you meet your hero and the hero is given the quest. Mm -hmm. Uh, and then the hero can meet companions or whatever and goes off on the quest. Second act, um, the hero goes off on the quest, learns the new skills and does the battle, traditional battle. And then um, traditionally, at the, the the hero's lowest point is at the bottom of the second act. Yeah, uh, yes. Where everything has gone wrong. Um, Luke Skywalker's diving on the Death Star. Everyone else has been killed. And um, and then the bottom of the second act, the hero um, turns everything around um, and saves himself uh, or herself and everyone else because of the new skills that they've learned. They return uh, with elixir. I remember that phrase. Yes. It, 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 in a good film, in a bad film, it just happens. You get to the bottom yeah. of the second act. And then it just happens. In a good film, it happens because of something new they've learned along yes. the way. Mm-hmm. Um, because of some character development. But it's always the bottom of the second act um, where just everything has gone wrong. And I was thinking yeah. about this watch yesterday. We've watched this film Excalibur, right? And mm-hmm. uh, we, we enjoyed the first part of it. And we got to meet all these characters. And we were sort of okay with it. And yeah. then at the bottom of the second act... The film goes completely off the rails. And <laughs> so we are the hero on the journey, is what you're saying. We are the hero on the journey. Okay. Uh, um, this film, and we're hitting it, and everything is at its lowest point. Um, Arthur, um, he's lost his wife. He's lost the sword. Uh, yeah. The land is. It's a There's country famine. music song at this point. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Everything has gone to shit. Yes. He's got a bad wig on. This bad gray wig. 
Um, um, his best friend Merlin has been frozen. The bad guys are winning. They're shooting it in winter, so everything is all the tones are black and gray and miserable. The whole yeah. film looks terrible. And then they decide to throw narrative out the window and go what? into this allegory portion, which is just not working. And just as we're about to give up on the movie and switch off, or as it would have been in 1981, yeah. as 13, we walk out of the cinema just going, I hate this. Then a somehow, battle. somehow in the last, there's this bit where he sips the grill Mm-hmm. And then he said, and then his brother walks off down the corridor and he goes, guards, yeah. knights, squires, prepare for battle. Yeah. And then we start Carmina Barana and all the guys put on their armor for the last time. And they're all galloping out of this for this last battle. They know they're all going to die. And they're galloping. Mm-hmm. And you're just about to walk out the cinema. I could just, I, people are going for the exits. <laughs> just lost them completely. And suddenly that music starts and you see the galloping out and you just go, wait a minute, I'll, I'll just stay yeah. and see what happens here. And then we get, get the awesome battle. Yeah. We get the last 20 minutes, which are fantastic. It's just <laughs> the best scene between Arthur and Guinevere. This a scene you actually yes. believe. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Reconciliation. Yeah. Um, uh, Lancelot's ever looked because they've given him this crazy homeless man <laughs> big beard and he's actually fighting like a uh, ferocious monster and yeah. it's the best it's the best Lancelot is the battle is incredible um, we get this incredible scene where Merlin comes back and tricks um, uh, Helen Mirren into giving him his power back yeah, the charm of making yeah and then we get this Wagnerian battle um on the cliffs in the west of ireland with all this fog and it's just <laughs> and i think almost subconsciously um john berman has deliberately sabotaged his film um at the two-thirds point at the lowest point of the hero's journey and he's just go- he's 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 gone Okay, you think I've messed everything up. You think I've ruined the film. And uh, <laughs> what's this? This what's is guitar this? solo. Yeah. Yeah, what's what I do in the last 20 minutes? Yeah. I'm going to save this, save this <laughs> film. And he does. And in my opinion, he saves the film in that last 20 minutes. It's just so epic. And the Wagnerian ending and Percival getting redeemed and then the lady in the lake and this and all these images which are clearly in his brain and he just because I've got to get this up on the screen and so so that's my that's my crackpot theory that he almost does it deliberately um it's like when you're lost at the mall and you find one of those maps and it's you are here we are here and so uh yeah like the three-act structure I remember in a creative writing class they would joke you know you put the hero up the tree, you throw rocks at him at the end of act two, and then you bring him down. And so we're getting a lot of rocks thrown at us in the middle yes, of this movie. Definitely are because yeah. that shit with the, um, the grail and the allegory, oh, and yes. it's, it's horrible. Yeah. Uh, it's like, and, are we in Monty Python all of a sudden? But anyway, yeah. And, yeah. Um, and you were about to turn off. We're about to leave. And then he just pulls it yeah. all it's the best it's before- Saturday night at the fights, basically. Yeah. <laughs> it, 
He just gets the best performances he's got in the whole film mm-hmm. out of men and women, and then just puts all this crazy stuff up there in the in the battle. And uh, and I read about this the, the battle scenes. Most battles now are stunt coordinators. Mm-hmm. And for that battle at the end of Excalibur, they had run out of money and run out of time. Um, so they had these big wooden swords um, painted. And then uh, John Berman said, look, we don't we don't have time to rehearse this. We don't have to just hack at each other. And Holy so, cow. Yes. The actual actors <laughs> uh, uh, and stuntmen just going in and wailing at each other. Oh, my with gosh. Olympic sword. I mean, they're well protected. Okay. They're worried. Yeah. Uh, I thought this was going to turn into one of John Woo's like Hong Kong movies where everyone winds up in the hospital for a minute. But yeah. that, that thing, it, it looks so authentic is because it is. That's um, so funny. Oh my God. Winging swords and deliberately missing. Um, they're just swinging and hitting each other. <laughs> You'd be hit by a wooden sword. I've never been hit by a wooden sword, but I imagine it hurts. I would think so. Yeah. I mean, it must Can you imagine be. the actors loving it though a little bit? Like you know, it's it's when you're a little kid and you want to joust. They get yeah, yeah, back. exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they must have just go. This is fantastic. This is everything we dreamed about. <laughs> this is a day at work. Yeah, I'm going to be hurt <laughs> and, and for a month, but this is fun. Yes. <laughs> and then and then the, it ends with that. Um, they played Siegfried's funeral oration from from Wagner, and then yeah. I think the ending is fantastic. Oh, it's Arthur's beautiful just, with the the imagery. Mm-hmm. I, I noticed um, this time also watching. Um, the first words in the film are Uther, and then the last oh. words in the film are Arthur. So it's father oh, and son. okay. The first words are That's a nice uh, Merlin little callback. Yeah. The first words are Merlin going Uther, Uther, mm. and he's trying to bring it all together. And then the last words are Percival shouting on the beach, going Arthur. <laughs> so it's the father and son, the beginning of the story, the end of the story, and it, and, it, and it all coming together. And I remember when I watched this when I was 13, I completely believed it. I just, oh. Arthur gives this speech to the Andy Percival. He says, look, because Percival, I, I think it's a beautiful moment. Percival doesn't want to throw the sword away because um, he's been told that, um, you know, the, the, the one thing he's learned on his quest for the Grail is that um, you and the land are one. Arthur and the land and the sword are all one. And you have to have all three for the land to prosper. So he's losing his king because the king's dying. And now he's being told to throw the sword away. So he's <laughs> going to lose and sword on the same day. And he doesn't want to do it. And I think it's a fantastic scene. And he comes back and then Arthur explains it to him. He says, and I think it's a great, uh, uh, Nigel Terry's best bit of acting. And he says, look, one day. A king's going to come when yeah. the country's greatest need and Excalibur will rise again. I remember when I was 13, I was thought it's like I missed a Christian them. allegory of it. Yes. But I was thinking, well, I guess um, when the Luftwaffe was attacking England in 1940 and um, the Nazis were about to invade the country, that wasn't the darkest hour. So, what? <laughs> so the sword didn't come back, couldn't come back in 1940. <laughs> Something much worse is coming. Oh, no. <laughs> I guess it can only be an alien invasion. Uh, <laughs> That's a whole other the, movie. Yeah. Yes, then the sword. Will <laughs> come back. 
I mean, I, I, yeah, I, I thought the ending was, was, was absolutely fantastic. And, um, yeah. and yeah, I think yeah. maybe the best was when you were 13, um, or 12 or however old I was when I, when I saw that in, in, in the film and the cinema, but I have watched it subsequent times and I watched it again a couple of days ago and I did enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would say to people who want to watch it, oh boy, you got to get through that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Or like I said, you know, the first viewing you're going to, it's going to wash over you a little bit. And then the second time, yeah, it works a lot better. Yeah. And, and I think a better film could have been made if maybe they had just made different casting decisions. I think uh, screenplay too. Yeah. You fixed that second act. Yeah. And the dialogue, I have to say some of it. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And another pass on the dialogue. Yeah. Um, Punch it up a bit. And then, um, but also in its imperfectness. Yeah. Also There's something beautiful about it. And it helped save the Irish film industry. Yes. Absolutely. Every, they cast every Irish actor. Yes. (laughs) It's kind of like what Peter Jackson did with uh, New Zealand and the Lord of the Rings movie. You know what's funny though? Um, Because I watched... um, I watched Lord of the Rings and Excalibur on the same day. Uh, oh, wow. And I watched the um, Glutton for Punishment, but I watched the extended edition of the... Which I should say, Adrian warned me, don't watch, because uh, watching the original Lord of the Rings when it first came out was one of the longest and driest experiences of my life at the time. And so Adrian's like, don't watch the extended version. And uh, yes. version 50 minutes is the... <laughs> edition but um with 27 minutes of credits you were telling me seven minutes of credits uh, <laughs> which i sat through uh <laughs> i wanted to be able to say have you actually seen yes i have i watched yeah. <laughs> every it's um, like a bar bet yes i have yeah yes, I have. i've watched i, I watched <laughs> um but it, it's, have you it's, read proust yes yes i yes. have yeah <laughs> But the, but here but the thing is, um, you know, I watched them both on the same day, and one of the things that I thought at the time was, as much as I like um, Lord of the Rings, and I do, and, and we'll talk about that. There's something about Excalibur I like more. Um, it's scrappier. It's like I, more ragtag and more. It kind of engages you a little bit more. I don't know. Maybe yeah. it's the grittiness. I'm not sure. You, you're that's exactly it you hit the nail on the head it's 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 grittiness and failures and yeah. makes it interesting it, it, lord of the rings is perfectly cast and oh, beautifully yeah. edited, gorgeous film beautifully edited beautifully shot not a cgi out of place they spent a fortune in this and uh, whereas excalibur is so rough and ready and mm-hmm. um or if you look in the background people are falling off horses in a face down into the muck. <laughs> we don't have time to reshoot that scene. It's we have a night up. down. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do it. Whereas Lord of the Rings, you know they would have let's go again. Yeah. Uh, and no no one's falling off a horse. And but yeah. in real life, people of course would be falling off horses and slipping yeah. <laughs> things wrong. And um yeah. there's one or two times also I noticed in um uh watching Excalibur this there's one or two times when Nigel Terry looks at the camera 
mm-hmm. uh, when he's he, when he's when he's the camera's right in front of him, and he accidentally looks at the camera, and you think he's gonna John Berman's gonna say cut, but they don't have time to cut. If you look at the camera, they just got to keep rolling. So, <laughs> just, oh God, I've looked at the camera. I know I shouldn't have done that. Okay, I'll I'll look over here. Which that doesn't happen in in, in Lord of the Rings. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's 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 a lot more. I, I don't want to say antiseptic because it's not. Um, no. but it but it is it, it is cleaner. Yeah, uh, it's an elegant, yeah, old fashioned epic. Yes. It's a well made. It's a well made. It's a well made. Um, so it's a gingerbread um, house. It's gorgeous. Yeah. Yes. This time I liked it more. I think one of the things that helped me is I had read The Hobbit ahead of mm-hmm. time uh, in grad school. Um, I was going to the University of Denver Liberal Studies, and the recession hit, so I stopped. But I was taking literature and film, and we had a special topics class in Harry Potter where we read all the books that influenced. And so I read The Hobbit and I really loved that. And so I think that kind of helped. And then another mutual friend. um, I know this is a huge favorite of Donald Logue. And Mm -hmm. so he actually had so many um, good memories about the Lord of the Rings trilogy, like putting the boys in the back of the car and driving across Canada as it played and he could hear it. And to this day, you know, he's he's writing right now. And so he will put on the Lord of the Rings and like just listen to it while he writes, just kind of like tune it out or have a little noise. And so ahead of this, uh, when he called last time with his oldest son, Finn, on speakerphone, I asked them. And so I got the big um, lead up and the sales pitch and their passion for the Lord of the Rings. And it kind of helped um, make me very excited about watching it. Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, my experience is, is is sort of similar to Donald's. I mean, it was a big part of my life. Um, I read it, um, I suppose, about 1980 or 81 when I would have been about 12 or 13, probably the same Around time. Around the time you saw Excalibur. Yeah. Around the time you saw Excalibur. And um, I really loved it. And then read the you know, read the Hobbit afterwards. Um, you know, I know you're not supposed to do it in that order, yeah, but yeah. I read the Hobbit afterwards. And then... Um, later on when I, I you know, I, I, started getting into Dungeons and Dragons, you know, it was the eighties and yeah. everybody was doing dragons. <laughs> and there's a particular type of Dungeons and Dragons called Merp, Middle Earth role-playing, where you do sort of Dungeons and Dragons on the world of Middle Earth. And I played that for a few years and got really obsessed by it. And then by the time I got to, um, Oxford, um, I determined that my local pub was going to be the Eagle and Child, which is where um, Tolkien and C.S. Lewis used to go to read out their works in progress. And so so that was nowhere near my college was at Oxford, but I said, I don't care. That's going to be my... that's going to be my local pub. Um, and so I started going to the Eagle and Child um, and drinking there and uh, and hanging out and reading there because it's just so cool yeah. to be in the in the bar where, you know, you could just imagine Jared Tolkien wandering in with the whole sheaf of, you know, <laughs> and, and then he's reading about, and then there's Gimli and Legolas and you can just imagine the yes. other patrons what, what is this guy talking about? You know, what's, what's he <laughs> so, um, so it was, I, I, I was really bought into the lore. And then when they were making the films, um, 
I, 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 I was worried because I had so much invested in, in this book. And this is, I was worried that they would let me down. And because uh, a lot of things do let you down, you know, you, 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 you've read, you've read the book and the film's not as good, but I have to say, Lord of the Rings is one of those where I think it's, the book has been translated perfectly. Yeah. The stuff that I imagined is mm-hmm. what, and filming in New Zealand, masterstroke, because New Zealand is like the Northern Hemisphere, but a little bit different. You know, the mountains are different and the the greens are different. And the trees are a bit different. It's so a it's like magical, ethereal. Yes. You can see that in the power of the dog with the mountains that are supposed to be Montana or whatever. But but you need that little otherworldliness. Yeah. 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 So I thought when I saw it, I was so happy because these visions that I'd had in my head for 20 years were translated perfectly on the screen. And, and talk about getting the casting right um for lord of the rings um you know uh, peter jackson um just did an incredible job and i know the director has final say but just all the all the uh, the cast is incredible i can't think can you think of a weak link in the cast because i i really no not at all i i I think he did especially i mean especially gandalf i mean oh my goodness Yes, you need McKellen. I mean, I was reading some of the people that they considered, like Sam Neill, who's great, you know. um, Was it Stuart Townsend was going to be the Vigo uh, Mortensen character, but they thought he was a little bit young. And so Vigo actually had to replace him, which he had, you know, mixed uh, misgivings about. Uh, But he is fabulous. I think the cast is Elijah Wood is a perfect Frodo. Yeah. Yeah. And also, in a film without any um, female characters um, at all, He's really. Real big ones. Yeah. Apart from Arwen, I think appears in the first one. Then Eowyn appears in the um, in the uh, second. Oh, uh, this is another aside. But my older daughter's called Arwen for reasons that we um, don't have time to get into here. And I wanted to call my other daughter Eowyn, and my wife wouldn't let me. She says, "Oh, we- is her name Arwen?" Yes, my older oh, daughter's called. I, I didn't know if it was a nickname. That's fabulous. No, no, cool. Actual name. And oh. uh, I went to my other daughter, Eowyn, and my wife said, no, uh, absolutely not. Um, Put it, the fit, foot down. It, yeah. There you if go. If we time it, I'll, I'll tell you that story. But, okay. <laughs> uh, but Jennifer um, is a version of Guinevere. So, you know, we're throwing excellent. it back. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um. For 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 a film that doesn't have any um, female, you know, it's up to um, Vigo to provide the sex appeal, which he does. He's incredibly sexy yeah, in this. Yeah, he shows up kind of like Han Solo, where he's like, "Yeah, I'm going to go on this quest, you guys, but I'm dark and I'm dangerous." And, yeah, and I it, love how his it, hair is perpetually wet. You just know yes. that somebody had to follow him around with a spray bottle. How many head colds do you think this poor guy had making these movies? His hair yes. is drenched through. Ev- like the other people don't have wet hair. Vigo no, does. Yep. <laughs> He has a sexy, wet look. Yes. That's that's yeah, the only yeah. thing 
clearly is happening. Um, he's just the charisma is just pouring out of him, and it's lucky he's in that role because everyone else is is good, but they're not. But you know, Tolkien's not writing. He would. He's an English gentleman. He's not yeah. going to write about sexy things. No, uh, no. So it's a good job that um, um, Vigo's there to provide that yeah, aspect. You need the Vigo and Liv Tyler thing happening a little bit. Yeah, just a hand touch, and you're you're like, whoa, this is hot. Yeah. <laughs> love triangle yeah. with uh with with oh, Erwin yeah. comes you recommended the second one and so did um the logs and so i did why i i preferred two towers i haven't watched the third one yet though but yeah which um, you won't I, see everybody's weeping in the third movie yes i i'm not i'm not a huge fan of the of the third one um you know, I think they 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 didn't have a lot of story, and they really sort of stretched it. And then there's a lot of endings, a lot of crying. That's what um, I heard. I heard there's like 50 endings. Yes. Yeah, a lot of endings, a lot of crying. You know what's funny? Though? <laughs> it's I, like a Spielberg, a bad Spielberg movie. I love Spielberg, but his problem is endings. Yes. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of always a lot of tears. Um, but I've actually read the uh, John Berman's script for Lord of the Rings. Ooh. He script you can find it online if you just Google um, John Berman script uh, Lord of the Rings PDF. Okay, uh, it'll take you right there. It's 180 pages long. Um, <laughs> but what's interesting about that script is it's a lot of strange things in. Also, very sexy. Uh, yeah, there's no. That's a Borman thing. Yeah, he that's likes his quests, which we should give a shout out really quick to my buddy Jed Ayers who pointed out. That Borman loves quests with the the Oz, and he pointed out uh, Point Blank is even kind of an Arthurian quest, which which was a good pickup. I mean, Deliverance is a little bit of a quest, yeah. And there's also sex in Deliverance. Yes. Um, <laughs> extremely extremely a little twisted, yeah. <laughs> Awful. Awful. Um, never ever want to see a wipe yeah. from our. Exactly. Um, you don't want to see anyone squeal like a pig, yeah. No. Uh, but in, in, in Borman's um, Lord of the Rings, um, Aragorn actually marries um, Eowyn um, oh, wow. at the end. Yeah, like he the that 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 part of the triangle, like he felt that um, that he would end up with okay yeah with 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 Aaron, which is quite interesting if they they'd filmed that because nowadays um the the fan community oh my god would have shown up and, and killed him yeah um, release the arwen cut we would have had a whole campaign yes yes they would have they would have gone bananas um but that that is quite an odd one um that um the arwen does, and, and aragon don't get don't get married at the, at the end of that one but um, yeah, so I think I, I'm glad you you watched the second one because I think it is, I think it is the strongest of the three films. Okay, it's got the most action and dividing up the the. Um, that happens the sometimes in trilogies. Yeah, the second yeah. movie because the characters have been established. One thing I noticed in Fellowship is they they form the fellowship literally halfway into the movie so it's like you've watched 90 minutes and then you have night then they say the fellowship oh. of the ring and it's like 90 minutes left yes and um, the um the, i think i noticed about the extended edition 
and we'll just talk a little bit about that. You don't really lose any, you don't really get any story more in the extended edition, but you get a lot of scenes where, um, did you ever see Star Trek, the motion picture? Yes. Okay, you know all the scenes where they fly into a nebula and then they all stand and look at it for sex? <laughs> They'll just go, just bones. What is that? And then they 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 spend a minute looking at things. There's a lot of those shots in the extended edition okay. where the they're the going to the majesty of the world. Yes. Yeah. They've spent a lot of time creating this set. <laughs> it's like the dad on the road trip. Damn it, we drove for 12 hours. You were going to get out of this car and stand by the Grand Canyon for longer than 10 minutes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Like the, when they, they arrive at um, Elrond's place, there's a lot of shots. Hobbit's <laughs> just walking around going, oh, look at that. And look at that. <laughs> and when they are, same, similarly, when they arrive at um, uh, Galadriel's, uh there's a lot of those shots and then even when they they go into the mines of moria and gandalf says this is the dwarf city of casa doom or whatever it was and then they go oh and then they're all looking around looking around and then they when it must have gone to uh a new line cinema they said to peter jackson hey can we lose can we lose like 20 minutes and that was pretty (laughs) because you weren't really cutting story at all it was majesty and then he puts it all back in for the for the extended edition extended. now for someone like me a big old token nerd i love that shit yeah um, so as extended edition i was loving it <laughs> you're like hoping he's going to do an apocalypse now thing and there's going to be like 50 cuts yeah <laughs> i was actually thinking would i watch an extended extended edition of this <laughs> probably i think <laughs> You and Donald will be there on day one. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I think I, I, think I would. What a half hour cut of fellowship. Um, but you know, I, I think I think it just it works perfectly. I think the Tolkien fans are really happy, mm-hmm. uh, but they also had a tough job to do because they have to bring in. You know, I don't know how many Tolkien fans there are in the world, but they're not going to make uh, enough money for them to to. Um, to cover their costs, they have to bring in regular viewers. They have to bring in viewers like you, um, and they have to get people who have never heard of Middle Earth. Yeah, and 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 so that's what I was. I've never known that. I mean, do they do a good job explaining the lore and explaining the world and explaining the stakes? I was super confused the first time I saw it, and the first time I actually watched this thing twice as well because I'm a nerd and right. wanted to make sure I got everything. And second time was was much more helpful. Again, you have too many groups of people being introduced all at once. I think at the beginning, it's like, well, we have the dwarves and the or elves or whatever, right. and like there's a bunch of different tribes of individuals, and then this person begat this person. So I think they introduce you to too many people at once that's just my two cents but otherwise you know it's a gorgeous film and yeah it it's a good quest if you were i was thinking about this as a writer if you're writing it you would never have nine people on on the no quest. not at all you'd have like four yeah you would have yep. four or, or or five so that one could die yeah uh, like mary and pippin i barely know those guys yeah <laughs> yeah they just I mean you, you could have had two hobbits. Yeah. You could have had two men. Yep. And 
I'm gonna have the dwarf that's five and then an elf and then gap. So you could easily done that with seven and you could boss the elf. And if you wanted that, do you know what I mean? If you were writing it, you would never have nine. No. And that and so that's that's quite hard. And that's so Hollywood. It's called the Fellowship of the Ring. Do we need the fellowship? Yeah. Yes. No. <laughs> Uh, and also, it was even worse for um, the Hobbit films. Um, I where didn't they, see this. Yeah, they they had they have twelve dwarves who all look similar and have very traits. <laughs> I mean, they they try to differentiate them, but it's it's really difficult when they all have beards and they're all very similar looking, and all mm. of them. And then they have Bilbo as well. So that's 13, 13 characters. Um, and 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 for me, those films don't really work. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Hobbit films, um, and I would love to have seen. Famously, you probably know, Guillermo del Toro was supposed to make um, the Hobbit yes. as a two, and I would love to have seen what he would have done with that. Yeah, uh, I love del Toro's work. Yep. Um, but the three, three, three hour and fifteen minute Hobbit films. Um, for a 220 page book, um, yeah, it, 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 yeah, it like the is- yeah. I think the- it's my friend Blake Howard likes to make the joke of the Peter Jackson cut anything challenge, and uh, yeah, that kind of thing, yeah, I mean, yeah. And and, and, and uh, going back to John Berman, John Berman had an idea for a, for a um, a three hour Hobbit film as well. Oh, uh, wow, one film in three hours, beginning, middle, end. Um, it might, it might have worked, but um, but yeah, I, I I can see how fellowship would be quite confusing for people, and um, but but again, the when I was watching it again, those big emotional moments hit me hard. Oh um, yeah, like when Bilbo leaves, I, I was I was properly sad, and then it the is. scary the scary bits when the the writers come is properly scary, mm-hmm. uh, and then we meet. Oh, Gandalf leaves them. That's, I think that one of the problems with having a character like Gandalf is when he's there, you feel as a viewer, you feel safe because uh, you think, well, nothing really bad can happen to them while Gandalf's around because he's great. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you're going, oh my God, now they're, now they're, they're screwed. out in the world. It's like they're off to college. <laughs> yep. Things could happen. Yep. <laughs> they're in big trouble now. They're and, in the uh, city. No, but not. Yeah. They're, 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 they're and then that bit, and I was just watching it again, and I loved it. Where Gandalf is on the bridge fighting the uh, the Balrog, and then he falls into the oh. into the pit, yeah. and he, he, your your heart's breaking for these guys. Mm-hmm. The hobbits are all crying, and they're all so upset. And you go, no wonder, yeah, <laughs> they've lost this this really important father figure in in in, in their lives, and and but. It, it helps the film because you, the viewer, are now going, oh, my God, they've killed Gandalf so anyone can die. You don't know that he's coming back. In, yeah, um, you need that for sure. Yeah, it helps the film because now you're going, oh, my God, anything could happen here. This is bloody ridiculous. And then they the, and it ends on a, a really interesting note where the party breaks up and they're fighting one another. I find uh, the ending really powerful and I love I, the I love Samwise Ganji like going with and yeah it's excellent. Downbeat and weird like um Empire Strikes Back. You yeah. know it, mm-hmm. uh, it, it, it which, which I, I yeah yeah mm-hmm. and you know will they do it? 
you know, will they win? What's going to happen? So I really think it, uh, I just think he did a fantastic job with, yes. with all of it. And I know that um, there are, there is CGI in it, but yeah. it, it's not as CGI heavy as a lot of those films from the middle and later 2000s and, and the mm-hmm. team. So there's yeah. a lot of, there's a lot of practical sets and practical locations. And, and I think that really helps yes. uh, because you're, you're there in, in that, in the, in that universe. And um, yeah, there's a foothold in reality. Yep. Yeah. There, there is a foothold in reality. And mm-hmm. again, I, I, you know, I don't want to shit on Peter Jackson's Hobbit, but again, they were, they were compressed for time when making the Hobbit. There's a lot more CGI in that one. And mm. And you yeah. really, um, it, it, it doesn't, it doesn't work. It doesn't work as well. But I think for all Tolkien fans, um, I, I, you have to be really churlish not to. Oh yeah. The, with the job that he did with Fellowship of the Rings and, and the little changes he made were all good. I thought mm-hmm. I mean, there's moves the plot faster I heard. And yeah. Well, I mean, there's um there's a bit where you probably remember where where um Arwen shows up to rescue uh yes Frodo gallops him now in the book that's this character called Glorfindel oh, okay uh, and uh, who never appears again the <laughs> so, character to cut uh, yeah. let's give it to someone that we're actually going to care about all the way through and make like, it more impactful yeah yeah for sure and then, and, in the cartoon version of of Lord of the Rings, um, Ralph Bakshi's version, they give it to Legolas. Legolas mm-hmm. shows up to um, to save. But this they do even better because we have almost nothing for any female characters to do. So Arwen comes in and uh, and saves Frodo. She's just got something to do, yeah, and 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 and, and has a major plot point. Um, so I, th- I think the script is really, really good. Um, I think the the special effects are great. The beats are fantastic. The casting is great. It's kind of like it's like a four out of four. You can't think any way it could have gone wrong. And when I watched the um, uh, when I watched the extended edition, I liked it even more um, because I was just nerding out on the 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 whole universe uh, that had been cut. So it, it, I think I think Fellowship of the Rings perfect for me, and I think. Two Towers, also perfect. And I think the only, it starts to go wrong, I think, in, in Return of the King. You know, I, I, but I still loved it. You know, yeah. I'd, I'd give that one three out of four. Okay. And then, and then I, I wouldn't want to write the Hobbit films because I, I just was not. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Oh. Well, thank you so much for walking me through all these. Are there any other fantasy films that you're super passionate about that you want to recommend in case people are listening and they're like, where can we get more movies like the ones Adrian was talking about? Well, that's a good question. Um, this is a film called Lady Hawk. Um, oh, yes. With, it's Rucker Hauer. And um, it might be Michelle Pfeiffer. Um, oh, okay. Richard Donner. That's Richard Donner. That's right. He comes off making Superman and, and, and yeah, makes... yeah. Okay. There's a really cheesy um, British film from the seventies um, called Hawk the Slayer, um, okay. which uh, stars Jack Palance as the as the as the as the baddie, and 
it's got the I've forgotten the actor's name and I apologize um, to the actor, but the lead is the guy in do you remember in Full Metal Jacket? Um, when the lieutenant is telling that Anne Margaret isn't coming because they've just had the the Tet offensive. And uh that's the lead in <laughs> in, in the Slayer. And so this this cheesy 70s fantasy, which I loved as a kid. I thought this was brilliant. Uh, I don't know what that's like now. It might be just apocalyptically bad. Yeah. Uh, well, we'll have to check uh, it out and tweet it, Adrian. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> and then another one I um is there another one? Yes, maybe um crawl. Is it crawl oh. or cult? Uh, remember that one? Yes, I do remember that one from childhood. Yes. It's Crawl, right? Crawl. Yep. 1983. Yep. 1983. This that was the golden era for <laughs> fantasy. Yep. Yeah. Late 70s, early 80s. And then um the 80s belonged to uh, John Hughes and that type of film. And then yeah. and then Peter, Peter Jackson was mad because I think Excalibur lost a ton of money. And uh, so Peter Jackson comes to them in the mid nineties and says, actually, I want to revive this. <laughs> that no one has done for a decade and a half. And all those films failed. Um, they must've thought, Peter, are you crazy? Are you, you know? Yeah. Uh, but again, he successfully, he, he absolutely revived it, revived fantasy and, 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 and now has uh, bequeathed us the whole Tolkien universe because of those Amazon ones. Yes. Uh, yeah, and there's going to be like five more movies. Exactly. And yeah. then oh, sequels and um, probably not sequels because um, there, there really is. Yeah. Yes, really isn't exactly. a sequel. There's, a, there's a, a Tolkien fragment called, which of course I've read because I'm a big old nerd, and um, called Return <laughs> of the Ship. Which is set like 150 years after um, the ending of Lord of the Rings. Um, mm -hmm. Really know that you could make a uh, a film out of that, but there's so much interstitial stuff that you you could put stuff in there, and so I, I can see how they how they could do it. But um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, well, Adrian, I want to thank you again. You'll have to come back, come up with another topic, and we'll talk movies again because this was a real treat. So I appreciate it. Well, uh, it was really fun. I felt we talked more about Excalibur than we did Lord of the Rings because um, I think Lord of the Rings There's is a, more there. I think. Yeah, I think. I think Lord of the Rings is it's an easy one. Yeah. Um, we like we all like it. <laughs> it's a painting um, in a museum, basically. Yeah. Exactly. And uh, there's not whereas Excalibur is the the difficult child. Yes. Uh, <laughs> yeah. so there's there's a there's lot more to more set to dig into. Uh, yeah, 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 I think so. But uh, yeah, no, this is really fun. I'm talking about two of um, uh, two of my favorite um, most watched films. Excellent. I also want to thank everyone for listening, especially my patrons who support the show and help fund my research equipment, film rentals, RSS fees, and more for as little as a dollar per month at the Film Intuition Patreon, which is the home base for the show. 
other ways you can support the podcast are by sharing, reviewing, and subscribing to Watch with Jen wherever you get your podcasts, and also checking out the cool merch store hosted and created by our talented logo designer, Kate Gabrielle. You can find the merchandise store, including shirts, tote bags, stickers, and more by visiting filmintuition.com and clicking on the shop link. The show's theme music is solo acoustic guitar by Jason Shaw and is available in the free music archive. You can also reach me or interact with Watch With Jen anytime on Twitter, either at Film Intuition or our Watch With Jen account as well. Well, until next time, please take care and happy movie watching. This is Jen Johans at FilmIntuition.com and FilmIntuition on social media and Letterboxd. And this is Watch with Jen.